What's up, Two Dope Nation? Hey, I don't know about you, but I really enjoy going to conferences. In fact, I think um, a lot of you um, may have met me and Kevin at a conference somewhere um, in this nation here in the United States of America. Um, there are some really great conferences happening this wintertime, including a dope uh, DEIB forum in Philadelphia. Uh, DEIB, for those of you who... Um, have your heads down and are unable to keep up with the latest lingo stands for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Really like that next level there. Carney Sando and Associates helps educators find job experiences that support their goals as teachers and or school administrators. An education recruiting firm working with K-12 independent, private, and charter schools across the globe, Carney Sando & Associates provides a free personalized job search service. Right now, Carney Sando is inviting educators to their annual DEIB conference in Philadelphia at the end of January to take part in a two-day hiring and professional development symposium to support schools' equity and inclusion work. Please visit CarneySando.com slash 2Dope. That's C-A-R-N-E-Y-S-A-N-D-O-E dot com slash T-O-O-D-O-P-E to schedule a time to speak with a member of their team and to learn more about this event. Hey, what's good, everybody? Hey, are you an educator struggling with time and money? I mean, are we all? <laughs> well, I want you to meet my friend Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors, and he's here to help. Specializing in working with educators, Alex understands the challenges we face from low pay to complex retirement systems. His team specializes in holistic financial planning, focusing on your goals and creating actionable plans to improve your chances of success. Visit his website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash T-O-O-D-O-P-E to schedule an initial virtual consultation with Alex. Mention the code 2 on your meeting and receive 25% off their subscription-based financial planning packages. You can get more info and a link to their website in the podcast description. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC, Insurance Agency, LLC. Member, F-I-N-R-A slash S-I-P-C. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. California insurance license number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203 Monrovia, California 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 3 hey what is good to donation how y'all doing City, but of course, you know, Kudo Teacher Send a Mic is global. We are worldwide. 
my name is Gerardo Munoz. I am the uh, producer of Tudo Productions and co-host of this amazing Tudo Teachers in White podcast, where we look to remix the conversation on race, power, and education. Um, I'm here. Kevin is not here. Kevin doesn't work on Sundays. Um, and so Kevin is just, Ke Kevin's just doing Kevin things. He's everything. He gets to do everything he wants to do. Uh, now, nah, uh, real talk before y'all come for Kevin. Uh, Kevin is an assistant principal in his first year as an assistant principal. And he's <laughs> going through it in January out in these education streets. But uh, we have an amazing conversation um, that uh, I think you're really going to enjoy with an opportunity to engage with some dope folks, some dope members of the Two Dope Nation out here um, who are going to kind of talk to you about the work that they do, the people that they are, and this event that you definitely don't want to miss, you want to be a proud of. If you are a new listener, if you are coming to the Two Dope Teachers and Mike podcast for the first time, where you been at? We've been here eight years. Like, it's eight years we've been here um you know from from the salad days but we welcome you one way or the other um you are welcome to become a citizen of two dope nation we do have open borders we do have um very lax citizenship requirements you just gotta stay dope with us and um and that's the only requirement but you can follow us on social media on all platforms at two dope teachers we're on x we're on tiktok we're on where i was gonna say we're on x and twitter that's not that's not a thing. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just look for Two Dope Teachers and you will find us. If you would like to find old episodes, go to twodopeteachers.com where you can uh, you can check out all 350 episodes that we've done in these eight years. Um, and so we are here. So uh, check us out. If you're really passionate about supporting uh, people of color produced digital media that is independent. You can do it. Our partners at both Carney Sando and at um, at Satera Investors LLC have done, which is to invest a little bit in the work that we are doing. Um, and if you want to chip in a few dollars a month, head over to patreon.com slash two dope teachers and a mic. We're at the $15 a month level. You get a sticker. And if you're seeing the video, this is the sticker that you get designed by our guy Sham. Uh, street artist here in the Mile High City. Um, so super excited about this conversation. I want to go ahead and just give a um, just give a full disclosure. Um, we have partnered here and there with Carney Sando and Associates, an amazing organization that supports our work and is doing important work in spaces that maybe you may not think of as being hotbeds for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work. So I uh, want to go ahead and welcome my guest. Um, Kim Garner is the Chief Operating Officer of Place Placement Group and Director of Conferences. And then we've got Brandon Jacobs, which I realize that you are not the former New York Giants running back, uh, the <laughs> Practice Leader, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging, Consulting Practice Search, and Consulting Services. Welcome to the show, my friends. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And sorry to disappoint you. I'm a little smaller than him, but uh <laughs> he was a big dude. He was, he was a really a big, big dude. He was a big he, guy. Still he, is a big guy, I think too. I feel, yeah, 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 I feel like most of us are smaller than that, Brandon Jacobs. <laughs> um <laughs> so he's a big dude. Um, well, listen, uh, let's hear a little bit about you all first. Um, you both are uh, with Carney Sando um, and doing this really important consulting service. Um, but tell me a little bit about yourselves, just um, 
the thing that I get really interested in um, when it comes to doing conversations about education, I love to hear what kind of students the people who come on the show were. So you can pick any moment in your life. Um, so it could be uh, it could be like you know, little Brandon back in first grade, or it can be college student, grad student, Brandon, like whatever it is. Um, I like to talk about middle school for me. Um, seventh grade is, I think, well, first of all, I think seventh grade is my inner child. I think my my inner child is a 12 year old uh, who wants lots of attention. It was really tiny. Um, I was really annoying in middle school. So annoying in middle school. If there was a bad idea, I was going to do it. Not to hurt people. I never was hurtful to people. I was just obnoxious. And you could dare me to do almost anything. And I would almost always do it. And so when I think of my 23 years in the classroom, I always think about before I come down super hard on kids, I'm like, okay, remember yourself, remember the <laughs> patience that you needed. So um, if y'all would like to introduce yourselves and, you know, sort of share a little something about, um, about a student version of yourselves, we should think about that a little bit. Sounds good. Tim, you want to go first? Sure. Um, so thank you so much for that introduction. Kim Garner, uh, my pronouns are the she series. And as a student, I guess I would say all throughout my educational career, I was a shy student. I was quiet. And what really um, kind of made me come out of my shell or be able to express myself more was writing. So English became my favorite subject in school just because I enjoyed reading, but I also really enjoyed the different writing assignments. And that's just how things came to life and it was easier for me to express myself as being a shyer person. Um, so that really started to come out in middle school and high school, um, my love for writing to really um, express my emotions. I love that. And and I can even tell just the, you know, how intentional you are with the words that you choose like mm -hmm. that. I'm like, this is a writer that's like <laughs> sitting across me. That That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. What about yeah. you, Brandon? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it being here. Um, I would actually give you maybe two versions of the student, I guess, is myself. And one of them, I think, interesting is kind of why I am. I think both makes you why I am where I am today. So I would say to me that the story about me as a student was I was the only uh, it's a, even in, even in growing up, I went to private high school. I was lucky mm -hmm. enough to go through an access program that changed my life forever. Right. That allowed me to go from inner uh somewhat inner city uh, kind of areas in new jersey to go to one of the top private boarding schools in the country right um but i would say even in that case when i was in pub so i grew up in a pretty uh diverse city i was mm. in honors classes and tracked and all those things through middle school and i was most times the only black male in a lot of my classes growing up as well too because uh, of the fact that i was in honors tracks uh that got exponentially more different when i got to it was similar i guess when i got to high school when i was in the only I was one of the only males in my my independent high school as well, too, in my class and grade. Um, got to college and the same thing. So I think the student I would give you actually is the one that I'll never forget my junior year in, high, in college when I had my first black male teacher. When I was okay. like, this is what this is like. Uh -huh. I remember <laughs> that student being the first time being free from that for for like in my in my lifetime, right? So for me, that was something that um 
I don't think I realized this. I didn't have growing up as a kid. I didn't really know what I missed until I yeah. got it ultimately. And that teacher and I are still close, um, still on my phone. And to this day, 15, 20 years later, right? So that impact, I think, is kind of where I am today. And I think the other part I would give you as a student is I'm actually older now as grad school student, Brandon, working mm-hmm. on my dissertation now, is that I was diagnosed with ADHD later in life than most folks. Um, it wasn't until I was, I think, 32, 33, something like that, oh, that wow. I was like, hold on a second. This makes a lot of sense now even I'm dealing with students and, and understanding that, but really to personally deal with that and then went back in my head in time and realized how different my experience would have been if I had that earlier diagnosis probably. Um, but, yeah. and that a lot of that came down to my parents, I think rightfully so not wanting their, their black male student, young boy to be kind of yeah. um, in their opinion, kind of typecasted or whatever it is. And I don't blame them for it, right. back then, but right. I still think about what my world would have been like differently. So um, I think about both of those students, kind of the, the before one and the now one a little bit and how different that could have been, but wouldn't change it for the world, obviously. But um, yeah. definitely I think I struggled through education through the most part until I kind of got to the point in which I got to college. But um, again, it, it all adds up to the same thing in the end. So no, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. It, it's yeah. funny because I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of parallels, um, you know, between the three of us, but also with Kevin, who I wish was here to be a part of this conversation, maybe at another point down the line, because Kevin um, attended uh, Highlands Ranch High School here in mm-hmm. Denver, Colorado, which it's become more diverse as <laughs> living in Denver has become less and less affordable. So, um, you know, uh, communities of color are finding themselves displaced and in other areas. But at the time, it was an overwhelmingly um, white population at the school. Um, And Kevin was one of, I think, six black students in a school of 3000, I think. And um, they used to call themselves the Black Falcons, and all this kind of thing. But sort of that kind of that feeling of kind of being the only one. And then the other thing, Brandon, that you said, that really so just this week, I was having a conversation um, in one of my PhD classes. So dissertation gang, I'm not quite there yet. Um, (laughs) But um, one thing that that we were discussing was that fine line between providing access to neurodivergent students of color and Mm -hmm. over-diagnosing, particularly boys of color, with Mm -hmm. having these things. So when you talk about ADHD, it's like we want folks to receive the services and supports, but we also know that historically there's an over-diagnosis and over-sort-of- um, assignment to uh, to special education for uh, mm-hmm. boys of color. And um, this is great stuff. I, I want to kind of follow up on something really quickly, and I think we'll touch on this a little bit as we continue the conversation. Um, so a couple of terms that I've become really aware of since learning about your organization mm-hmm. um, have to do with private school versus independent school. Um, so maybe Kim and then Brandon, if if you could speak a little to what the, if any, if there's a distinction or if those terms are used interchangeably. Sure. Um, so we work primarily with pre-K through 12 secondary schools. Um, and so for us, so we work with private, independent, as well as ch- charter schools. And basically they're schools that are not run by the government, um, your city or town, and they can be religious affiliated, they can be single sex education. Um, they're just a variety of different um, terms or, or a variety of different topics, or I'm sorry, not topics, there's a variety of different um, definitions of what it could be. And some are, some are much larger, some are much smaller, some are more 
niche um, in terms of um, what they offer to their students, um, but they are governed by their own board of advisors. Yeah. Brandon, great. I'll kick it to you. Yeah, I would agree. Same way. I think the, the word independent, and this has been thrown around the last couple of years, we're really, and we're a big proponent and a big sponsor and fan, fan of uh, the National Association of Independent Schools, or NAS, as people might call it. Um, and so for us, that distinction between truly being independent of, again, jurisdiction around that situation, I think is huge. Um, and I think for a lot of folks, my wife's an educator as well, too, in the independent school world, not being kind of tethered to, I think, some of the traditional, more sense of, of the public kind of sense of it. Again, they're all great places. They all do great things but the independent nature of that allows for more that choice that selection what comes with that though i think it's a higher price tag obviously sometimes or whatever it may be but i think that the recent change within the american system thinking about like school choice and programming all these things come into this conversation now like what's best for your kid ultimately and i think independent schools function a little differently in that sense that they can meet some of those needs in some of those situations when you throw in um extracurriculars and college programming and all those things that you can do there are benefits and and um and different advantages to it but we work a lot of with schools that have that that freedom or flexibility i would say to work outside of that um and it's uh it's it's great it's got a lot of positives to it as well too yeah i love that thank you so much like i think that I probably don't have to tell you all, but in the various uh, deba debates that happen around education, mm -hmm. I think we very rarely go on fact-finding missions um, mm -hmm. in a lot of like areas. And and honestly, that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is that I have the opportunity to say, so what is that? <laughs> like, <laughs> tell me in your words, kind of what it, what the lived experience that you have in these professional spaces is. So thank you for that. And I guess I have one more kind of follow-up question before we kind of get into some conversation around DEIB and what Carney Sando does to um, to do authentic and meaningful DEIB work. Um, how did y'all find your way into education? <laughs> uh, for uh, me, it just fell into my lap. I've worked at Carney Sando for over 20 years. Okay. Um, so I randomly started out working part-time for the firm. Um, because a friend told me about a job opening and I worked my way up to where I am today because I just fell in love with the company, the mission, what we do, the people. Um, and yeah, it's been over 20 years. It seems like love it was it. just yesterday. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. We don't, we don't see that a lot. Like, you know, I am the longest tenured, um, manager in Denver public schools in my, mm. in my particular, in, in my particular internal pathways and development department. I've been in that position for 18 months. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in Denver public schools for 25 years, but yeah, most yeah. of it was as a teacher. Uh, how about you, Brandon? What's your, uh, sort of connection into yeah. education? Yeah, I only sounds laugh. like there's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot to that story. Yeah, yep. and, I, and, it, and it revolves around to the point of kind of the private school world as well too. Again, if you would have told me, uh, what is it, 15 years ago, when I graduated high school, 20 years ago, whatever it is, um, that I'd be working education, I probably would have punched you in the face, right? Like, <laughs> same, same. Uh, I would have done the same. <laughs> because I think for, I think in particular for me, again, not having a lot of black role models, there right. wasn't, like, why would I want to do that? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know, I don't see that connection. So it, it wasn't for me until I got to college, honestly, when I, when I was a 
pre-law major. I made it about 35 seconds in my first law class. And I was like, this is not going to work. <laughs> um, the, uh, the professor, professor, the professor said to me, uh, if you think this is like law and order, you're in the wrong class. And I was like, well, I'm in the wrong class. And I just got up and left like right after the first like intermission, whenever it was. So, uh, so I stumbled through. Oh, wow. That's amazing. You decided right there in that moment. Right there. Like, this yeah, I'm not going to waste anybody's time. I love yeah, it. Your time, my time. This is what I thought it was going to be, whatever it is. And so, um, I ended up falling in, 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 in ironically in love with sociology. I took a class randomly kind okay. of, I had to go to another class after I left this pre-law class and I ended up taking a class in anthropology, um, fell in love with that idea. And it wasn't until college when I was sitting in a, in a kind of college classroom, taking an education class uh, that I thought I wasn't going to love or whatever, and kind of fell, again, fell in love with this idea of being in education. Um, but I started on the interesting and why I only laugh is I started on the college um, placement or college admissions track. I was a college admissions intern. I did all those things. After undergrad, I went into the college admissions world. And in that experience, I think I realized um, a lot of things about how much I wanted to help and really wanted to give back to what was going on. But I, but interesting enough, I think quickly turned and why I do what I do now is like, I realized I couldn't save everybody, right? I felt like I was actually mm-hmm. failing folks by doing that more and more. I yeah. spent so much time butting my head trying to fix this and fix that. And I was like, look, I got to yeah. control what I can control. And that was actually probably within the classroom, within a school setting and on and on. And then ironically now, five years ago or so, or a little less than that, um, Carney Sander came kind of knocking. It gave me the chance to go back and do this for more folks, not wow. just at one school. Um, and it's a blessing I, I count every day, right? So it's been kind of a full circle for me to think about that. Um, but if for if again, just to go back to your question, I never thought I'd be in education, and now I laugh to think of what else would I've ever done, right? There was not like they yeah. just kind of fall into that mode or whatever it is. I married an educator. I'm surrounded by educators every day, right? Like I. We see the path now, but it wasn't until that, I guess, triggering of kind of doing what I was designed to do. Um, yeah. And even more so when I worked with kids in college counseling, and I'm like, oh, what are you going to major in? I'm like, major in your passion, right? Do what you got to do because That's the rest right. of it, figure That's it out. Right. I was yeah. a communication and a sociology major and I work as an educator, right? Like there's no yeah. pathway to find success or happiness. But I think as an educator now, um, I couldn't see myself doing anything else, right? Also. Yeah. No, I love that. I love hearing these stories because I think that one thing I've learned just in my role now, I spent 23 years as a classroom teacher. I came in through an alternative licensure program. I had graduated with degrees in history, Latin American studies and ethnic studies and had really been thinking about going to graduate school. But then I thought more about making an income. (laughs) Um, So um, so I took a long term sub position and It's just really interesting because I'm like you, I'm like, what else would I have done? And I've done a lot of like thinking about, you know, just kind of looking back as I kind of come towards the end of my, um, my career in public education about how just wild this entire ride has been to go from a long-term sub to 2021 Colorado teacher of the year and just getting into these bigger spaces, which has just been incredible. Um, I think, um, I'm I'm really interested. So full transparency, um, I'm going to expose myself as a, a PhD student who is in my third year, almost done with coursework. And I had never heard the term DEIB until maybe a few months ago, right? And it, it was through Lane at your um at your firm <laughs> that I <laughs> that I learned that. And so rather than asking, what is that anyway? I just looked it up and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, I want to talk a little bit about DEIB, um, term that has, and I don't know if it's just because I just noticed it, and now I'm starting to see it in other areas and other sort of discourses around what we had previously simply called DEI. Um, 
And um, and I also saw that um, apparently at Tesla, like 67% of the employees want to have DEI training, which is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I just can't, I can't speak to how much I love that irony, right? <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is great. So, um, so talk about this emphasis on B for belonging. Why is that an essential part of the acronym that that you all at Carney Sando have really um, have really taken um, and implemented into so many of your practices? Yeah. Well, belonging is the outcome. You know, if you have it, if you have the D plus the E plus the I, it equals B. So for us, our ultimate goal is for folks to belong where they are, belong in the class, feel like they belong in the classroom at their workplace, in their home, when they're grocery shopping, like having the, adding the B is the, is the ultimate outcome for, uh, for us is what our thought process is. But Brandon, you probably have more eloquent words. (laughs) I think those are good words. Yeah. (laughs) There's few things in the world I know. It's very rarely my other world. But yeah, no, uh, it's a, no. And I think that, so it's a great question because I think for a lot of folks, they misunderstand this. And I think there's actually a little bit of onus on people who, who do this work to, under, to, to really reestablish what this is for some folks. Um, I think in the current today's world, we hear about DEI, we hear about culture, um, the culture war, we hear about all the critical race theory. And, and what I think folks miss about this is that when you boil all this down to exactly what Kim said, we want people to be their best selves and live their best life, right? And if we yeah. can't acknowledge the fact that that's not currently possible for some folks because of other things, right, then I think we missed the boat off with anyway, right? So if you get down to this equation of D and I, again, we call it the D and I equals the B and kind of the outcome part of it. What the analogy that's been used a lot of times over, over history has been like diversity is being asked to the dance, right? Type of idea, um, inclusion and that idea is being asked to dance kind of once you're there, right? Can you um, can you participate? Are you participating with those people? Um, the equity part of it um, being kind of um, is, or can you change the playlist, right? Is, is the music and the culture part of what that represents who you are as a person? Um, um, we get asked the question all the time, why is it not D-I-E and D and I, right? And it's because D-I-E spells die, right? So we try to switch <laughs> things around a little bit. And there's a reason. Gotta, why yes, so, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but, but, it, but in all honesty, there is a reason why you add the equation. Because once you have a diverse group and you have a background representing what's going on, which we show and research will show increases both success and connection and relationships, both in the business world, the education world, whatever world you want to look at, the diversity part kind of has to be there for success to work out in the end. Um the inclusion part again, people to feel like they're they feel represented, they feel like they're part of what's going on. And then equitable part, can they change the power of dynamic what's going on? Mm-hmm. All of that sounds great and fine, but what's sure. the outcome of that? Right. So when you do all of that, what does it look like in the end? And if you go back to that dance analogy for a second, again, can, are you invited to the dance? Yep. Are you able to change the playlist? And then are do you feel like you're in dancing once you're there? Our question with the B part is why is it a dance to start off with? Right. Like, why do I feel as if I have to give up an admissions ticket to get into a place that is my school, my my grocery store, my home, right? Whatever it is to feel like I can just belong. Um, and I think that is the piece where when, when we talk to parents or, or families or schools who misunderstand this, the attack on this is, oh, well, you're different.
differentiating something or you're making something feel separated or isolated with ironically it's the complete opposite of that right we want every right. person regardless of their skin color regardless of their experience regardless of their background ever to feel as if when they walk on whatever community they're in whatever space they're in to just be themselves right that's all we can ask for and the fact that that doesn't happen because of those other things is why we come back and do it again tomorrow right so for me the b is more than just um, a word it's more than just a, a happenstance it is an intentional focused longitudinal whatever way you want to look at it outcome of something that takes time and energy and effort to create so that every person um, can feel as if they're becoming their best self, that they can be, that they can be their best selves, and ultimately that they can live their best life. That is, and it's, and, and some people say it's an unattainable uh, journey. I couldn't disagree more. Right? Like there are situations when you walk into and you go, "Huh, like this is what it means to just be who I am." That's what we hope schools and organizations can create by intentionally focusing on what that outcome is, not just sometimes the input of what that yeah. might. Happen. So. It it does feel um, a little bit like a tall order, and I I think that um, there's a couple of pieces that are kind of lingering for me um, as you both share the the belonging part. Uh, first is that we're in pretty different spaces, right? And so my experience as as a as a Chicano teacher for 23 years in Denver Public Schools, with you know, very rarely did I feel a sense of belonging like with my students definitely because i think that i think that we just understood each other on on a pretty deep level um also i i was born and raised in this city as well and so i attended the schools that i now support um and again as a student not really feeling that that sense of belonging i look at the two of you having been in this work for a good amount of time and it sounds like there's a sense of belonging um, where you're at, but belonging feels like a really uh, tall order for some of these systems, which have frankly um, committed a lot of harm against marginalized and minoritized communities. How do you sort of, you Brandon used the word longitudinal, but Kim, I'd like to hear how you sort of contend with the fact that it is kind of ideal state, right? The outcome is like, we do all this stuff and this is where we wanna go. And it may be difficult to get there in a lot of places. How do you sort of balance that? Well, I think, you know, you have to start somewhere and you might not get it right. Yeah, that's right. The first time or the fourth time, but it is about putting in that effort. And I think collaborating, seeking advice, being willing to, um, to grow, to change, to to apologize when you need to. I do think that it it is just about taking that step and seeing what happens um, from there. Yeah. I love the idea of, of this, of belonging is kind of like a North Star. It guides you. You're always headed in that direction. And I, you know, I also think about just in the work that I'm doing, because managing um, adults, very different from managing uh, middle schoolers in some ways, in some ways, it's actually very similar. Um, but I think that um, I think that there are moments where it's like we just had a moment of belonging, like like. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know what other things may come up. But we just kind of had that moment. And if we can string together enough of those moments, you know, where it becomes kind of the culture, 
um, of where we're at. I think that can be really profound. Thank you for answering that question. Like yeah. when I when I hear some of this terminology, I'm kind of like, man, <laughs> are you sure? Well, I also <laughs> think, you know, on the, the humans have a desire to belong, you Absolutely. know, to belong in their community, to belong at school, to like from a very young age, you know, and just because you are from an underrepresented group, you shouldn't have the, you should be able to have the same opportunities. You should feel comfortable, yeah, for you sure. know? And I think that it's just, it's, it's a human need to belong, yeah. to feel like you belong. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'll just add, I think that the part that even break the words down to, and we don't have to do all the semantics here in this meeting. Though, oh, I love semantics. I yeah, love it. If you break, if you break it down, right. So then it be and long, right. You split up those two things, right. And what's going on words like belief and, and understand like, if you go down to the core value, what's going on, all it basically says, I want to be able to show up here and know that I'm here. Right. That is the end all be all of this conversation. We can go through this. We get asked all the time, especially in our work. Oh, how, how early is too early to talk about kids? Um, they, they're talking already. Uh, the minute they're, the world is starting to be shaped, I think it's responsible, yeah. responsible, I think, for schools to ask the question what is our job here right, as an institution? Is to educate kids and the thing, and what's going on? Ultimately, when you boil all that down, the first thing that we have to do is protect kids. We, ha we have to be able to understand we can protect their innocence, we can say, or we can protect their future. And I think yeah. those two sometimes get misaligned to understand that um, this belonging piece can be as simplistic or understood as very much of, we just want to make sure that you're just being the best version of yourself, right? And, and whatever that is today doesn't necessarily mean the same thing tomorrow. And that journey to your point that Kim mentioned is exactly where we're at, that it's not actually ironic. I think it'd be, it'd be a mistake if, you're, if your destination is the same thing today as it was tomorrow. So we don't yeah. see belonging as big as a destination, just like we don't see mm. success and what's going on. I think for some folks who get locked into the numbers and the data and all that stuff, and I hear that part of it, right, especially in today's world, uh, with some of the way our, our, our finances function on, like, oh, we can test for uh, aptitude, we can test for success. Really, you're not, you're not actually, what you're testing for in that moment, right, is where we are in that moment. And no different belonging that, again, a kid may feel like they belong today, and then tomorrow they don't. And that's okay as well, too. What we want to move toward, though, is the fact that you know that we care about you, and here's how and why we're doing that. Um, and the last, I mean, I, I, the perfect analogy I think I can give to this in so many ways, I, growing up as a kid, uh, I mentioned before being in a, in a somewhat kind of 50 50 uh, inner city kind of area of, of, of white and, and black members in my community um never forget and i'm wearing wakanda on purpose because i I, uh, wear it but I, anyway, see um, it. I see it <laughs> you can't see my blurry back of my wakanda wall over here but like i <laughs> yes. remember as a kid growing up uh never forgetting uh, my, my best friend sean who i still it's where i still keep in touch with today we're five or six years old whatever it is having this conversation about halloween what we're going to be for halloween and all these things i remember saying to him i wanted to be spider-man right that's what i wanted to do and all these things and he looked at me dead in the eye six years old and told me i couldn't be spider-man because i was black right now that's innocent he's six years old there's right, nothing right right him, right yeah but my world was rocked to be able to understand that i couldn't be something or be with somebody or be this thing because of something i had no control over right right when belonging says the opposite is be here be who you want to be and be here now right because we don't care not that we don't care about those things actually quite the opposite we care so much about those things that i'm going to let those things become who you are as a person right you are a black yeah. male i am a christian i am these things it's not going to change that part i don't want to eradicate or erase those parts i want you to bring all of those things and when you sit here in front of me person to person or whatever it may be we're going to let that just ride we're just going to be yeah. who you are um, i think the misconception around that around that is going on is what makes it difficult oh i want to make you better i don't want to make you better at all I make you be the best person you want to be yeah. whatever it is and i think that's the part belonging people see it as this long-term destination we're 
never going to get there. Ever. No, that's right. And I and I'm okay with that because if we do, that means we're in a cult. Honestly, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I mean that's just what it is. It just calls space space. We're all looking around, and be like, oh, come kumbaya, we're great. That's a problem. That's gonna yeah. be an issue somehow, some way. I want you to bring all those issues, bring all those differences on. We're gonna sit here and just love on each other either way, right? That's belonging. Yeah, I love it. And I, I noted the Wakanda forever. Yeah. Beautiful thing. Um, uh, it's interesting because as you speak, my mind's like running in a thousand different directions, but as, yeah. as you both speak about this idea of, um, of what it means to belong, um, I'm thinking about where I grew up. So I'm half Mexican, half white. I identify as Chicano. I grew up in Denver's historically one of the most segregated cities in the country. Um, and it has been for a really long time. And so the neighborhood I grew up in, I, there weren't other white kids and there weren't other uh, Mexican-American Latina kids. I grew up in a historically black neighborhood, which I learned as I grew up was actually one of the most storied uh, black communities between the Mississippi and like LA, right? So a lot of our history was defined by folks moving west um, migrating west and making stopovers in in Denver, in the Denver area, and then saying, this is kind of a cool place. I'm going to put down roots. James Beckworth, uh, one of the great explorers. There's a wild, the, you know, Bill Pickett, the Bill Pickett Rodeo started here. And I think about the community that I grew up in and how, to your point, Brandon, my identity never cost me an, an ability to belong. Like the kids on my on my block, like we played every day, we had a great time. And I think that what gave me a way to understand culture and history as something to be celebrated was growing up in a community where their legacies of excellence were celebrated, whether it was in the barbershops, in the grocery stores, in the restaurants, just the murals, that kind of thing. And so now I rock my culture because I had I I had such a great template for how one can love their own culture. And and it makes me realize that like, listen, the neighborhood I grew up in was super violent. There's a lot of things that I needed to get away from. That was also the last time I really felt like I belonged in a space. And so I'm having a moment right now, y'all. Um, and that's beautiful. So thank you for for just taking me in that direction. So um, so there's you've both sort of hinted at sort of the overall climate that we're dealing with right now. And so uh there are folks out there who are propagating a message that DEI is the big bad wolf, right? That we have to stop DEI. It's even gone so far as to lead to policy that is banning the use of DEI in institutions of higher education and that kind of thing. Um, so what I would love to, I am always really inspired by people and organizations that are leaning into the thing that's being demonized and that's being attacked. Um, so I'm just really curious as to how you all are sort of experiencing this current backlash and 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 just you know what that has looked like from the work that you're that you're both doing in this really important space. Brandon, do you want to go first? Yeah, I was gonna say it's the it's the fun part of our jobs, right? It's so much it's, fun. It's, it's so much fun. Um, I tell people all the time if I um, if I was doing something that didn't piss somebody off, am I doing something right? Right? Like I I don't know if you can if if again a couple of years ago whatever it was before this really took a, a bigger push into where we are now that I would feel the same way about this next thing I'll say, but 
bring it on, right? I'll be the big bad wolf. If the big bad wolf is is in this case blowing down and knocking down houses to make kids feel like they're who they're supposed to be, then 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 color me, color me wolf, right? Like it is what it is. I don't know. Like I don't <laughs> yes, know if we um, sometimes I think uh, we we get very afraid of and operationalize some of this issue around the, around what what difference is and on. I, I think there is an opportunity as a country for us to realize well too. Um, that we're here and we're going to be here for a long time. This isn't going backwards. We're not changing what's going on. Um, we don't have enough time to talk about it in this podcast, how much from a, from a public standpoint, from a, from a company standpoint, to your point, again, you have places that are doubling down all these efforts and we're doing all the right thing, right? It's going to, it's going to start against what's going on. A lot of these institutions, I'll just speak from the school standpoint, right? Um, when I, the private school I went to was founded ironically to not let black and brown students into the school. That's why it was created. So uh, interesting. Okay. So, so when you, when you talk about that, that, that institutional difference there, right? Um, <clears throat> the changes are going to happen overnight, right? It's not, it didn't take, it didn't start overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. So I think to answer your question, it, it's, um, it's about it's about chipping away at things for the right reasons, right? I think being able to wake up every morning and say I'm doing the right thing, knowing that's the case. Uh, and I don't mean to this is a bad analogy. I don't mean to to compare it all to um, the civil rights movement and on and on like, because I think that there were people putting their lives on the line very differently, even than we're putting our reputations on the line. What's going on? Um, yeah. We were talking about people losing their life, lives, literally over what was doing what's right. What's different today, right? There's no difference now. Um, you can cancel culture. You can do whatever you want to do, right? It doesn't change the outcome of we're doing what we think makes sense. Um, I think that the trick, however, the last thing I'll say is that the way to fight through some of that is with the truth, right? What is this really about? To really arm people around what is the goal behind it? I still haven't met a parent that I've dealt with in the schools that I've been in for over 10, 15 years now um, that disagrees with what I say about that part. Now, we might disagree mm -hmm. on the how, right? Might disagree on the when and what we're talking about, but the ultimate what itself is not arguable in so many ways. Right. And when you get people talking around what the true definition, what the true understanding that is, um, Nobody, at least again, in my understanding, is going to disagree with that part of it. The, the issue of getting to that point and getting through that conversation, I think, is the biggest issue we run into is we don't take the time and energy to understand why this is so important, why this yeah. matters so much, and why this is different for me than it is anybody else, right, for what's going on. Um, and I think that the ultimate problem is that D&I or D&IB in a lot of ways, too, um, is difficult for people because it's different for every person, right? There's not a true, even though we just defined it a second ago, the way we feel it, the way we see it, the way we understand it, and even define it can be different for other people. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be the same for every person. And that's what scares some folks is that, well, it's not the same for me. That, that, that is totally your, your, whatever is your vibe is your vibe. Yeah. Right? I just want yeah. you to live your best life. I don't need to impose upon that. Um, that I think is not I'll put it out there. It's not the American way, right? We're very much telling people how, what the success will look like, fight from your bootstraps and just do what, what, and it's going to work for you. That's never been right. Just like right. me telling you how to live your life is going to be right. Right. So mm. that's not an institutional thing we, we do well as a culture. So we fight that. And I think that's the part that people get really upset about. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So much. And I would say, you know, we, we at Carney Sando are cognizant of our reach and we feel as though we have a responsibility uh, to to do this work internally with ourselves um but also be able to continue to to share this work that we're doing with our clients with the educators um so for us it's it's not just an outside thing it's it's internal as well and DEI B has become part of our fabric as a company. So it's not something that is um, 
it's not something that people are surprised by when they join our firm yeah. um, because it is a part of our DNA. And it started many years ago as someone who's been here for over 20 years, you know, we definitely, we have evolved, but you know, the president of our company, he is on board with it. So it starts from the top down, you know, the yeah. leadership down. So, and it just, and it, it's infectious in yeah. a good way, if yeah. you will. So if you didn't have the top people and myself, I'm a, I'm one of the managers of the firm. If you didn't have us um, fighting it for this work, but also making it accessible to folks internally yeah. um, and continuing to do so externally, um, it would be a very different story if we didn't have that support. Totally. And Kim, Kim, I really, I love what you just said. And I don't want people to miss this point because I think that most, most of our listeners are coming to us from public education settings and public policy settings and that kind of thing. And what I, what I've heard over and over again, but when, whether it was when I was a classroom teacher um, as an active member of my professional association and now working in a managerial role in central office, what I keep hearing from all these quarters and witnessing is that we have these pronouncements, right? We have these these mission statements, we have an equity statement, we have all these things, but we always treat it as something that we are doing out there, not in here. And I think, Kim, that point that you made about how critical it is that in our communities, particularly those communities that have a commitment to DEIB, that we actually are doing the work on ourselves and with each other. I think that's a really beautiful thing. Um, you mentioned, Kim, that the work has evolved in the 20 plus years that you've kind of been there. I want to ask you a little bit about, I'm always a little bit hesitant to ask about the the current situation, you know, the current attacks on DEI, because what I always expect is, and what I've heard from a lot of people is, well, yeah, I mean, attacks are happening, but they've always been coming from somewhere. Like this isn't necessarily a brand new development it's playing out differently it looks different it's got different implications but you know we've never been in a place where we could do this work in peace um i i'm curious kim what you've witnessed in the 20 years just in your role like where you, like has this always been something where there was a little bit of resistance that you kind of had to push or is this moment unique i think you know there are have been times years and years ago where there was some resistance, but I think it was about educating folks. You know, it's people, you, you, you know what you know, and it can be scary when you don't know and these terms come about and whatnot. And um, it just, it, it, it took time, but anything worthwhile, any change that's worthwhile is going to take time and that's okay. And so it took a lot of persistence and patience and, you know, individual growth was as we talked as we talked about a few moments ago yeah. was hugely important because you needed it. It couldn't just be a mandate from management because right. you're still an individual person, That's and right. so there are things that folks had to do on their own, um, on their own journey. But also, we had to do certain things together, and we had to have these conversations. And it just became, I think, you know people became more vocal about it. You know, you would talk to <clears throat> different school contacts or job seekers, and they would talk about things that they were struggling with on their campuses or why they wanted to leave or why this position is open. And so 
that type of dialogue was not always as open, um, you know, 20 plus years ago as it is right. now. So, yeah, I appreciate that a lot. And um, I think that um, I think it's just it's so like it seems so elementary, but it's just so interesting to me how in a lot of these spaces that internal work isn't prioritized. Um, and then, uh, Brandon, I want to circle back to something you said, mm -hmm. um, we're talking about sort of continuing to chip away using the truth. Um, mm -hmm. And the truth is, and I, I had the opportunity to do um, some to do some fellowship work um, from August 2022 to August 2023 called Voices for Honest Education, which was mm -hmm. sort of countering a lot of these harmless things. And some of the some of the polling data that we've seen it very much is in stark contrast to who the loudest voices are against DEI and DIB and the other, whatever other sort of, you know, big bad wolves they've identified. We know that over 80% of American parents want their kids to have some sort of understanding of the racial history of the United mm -hmm. States. We know that around the same percentage of parents agnostic of party understand the value of having their students be around folks who are different from them learn to work with folks who are different with them learn to learn to be in diverse communities so we know that the truth is out there and we know that this is something that is desired by uh by our communities so mm -hmm. um did you want to comment on that, Brad? And I see, yeah, see, I yeah. see the gears turning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your wheels are spinning, mine are spinning. As fast. I think, I think the question really becomes sometimes, and this is a person who um, lives in the suburbs, spends so much. I spend too much time at Lowe's, obviously, but like it. Um, the question becomes like, are you are you looking for a hammer or a nail or a screwdriver, right? Like, I think sometimes we come at this work, whether it's at DNI, it's it's well being, it's social justice, it's a lot of different terms, right? And to Kim's point, I think a lot of people are afraid, or they're what they're saying is they're afraid of change, right? because yeah, okay. they because it's a shift in a in a dynamic uh imbalance for them and what the world used to be like and i can understand that i can totally get my head around the fact of if i'm walking down the street one day and all of a sudden the world shifts upside down which is what happened yeah. in 2020 right yeah, where okay. people saw for the first time something through a different lens we go oh that's how that could have been right and sometimes you need the hammer sometimes you need to come at things and say look this is what we're going to do this is, is what it is mm -hmm. sometimes you need a screwdriver say we're going to move and shift and do these things um and sometimes you need a nail to say we're going to we're going peck at this thing here or smaller what's going on i just think having the right tools sometimes around this i think is, is interesting and unfortunately as a culture and as a country we got caught up in this last couple of years is that the loudest voice sometimes wins out when the quiet one is the one saying hey i'm coming back and do it again tomorrow right the, yeah. the, the ability to say we're gonna we're gonna pick our battles we're gonna keep doing this and keep working toward it all knowing that in the end, um, that what would would I think the other piece I'd add really quick too, but D and I D and I work and why it's so important internally, but also externally as well too, is that it is an ever-changing world, right? The fact right. that we're talking about different pronoun usage and and it's not just black or white, literally or figuratively anymore, right? There are so many complexities around this. It's it scares folks, but really what it does is it puts people on notice to say, hey, I'm making you re responsible for knowing these things, right? And I don't that that is what is hard, is that people don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. They don't want to spend the time and effort to know that a person who uses the word asexual right is something that's different than it was in the past and what's going on right. um welcome to it right welcome to the welcome to 2024 and welcome to the world that is today and if you don't like that then you need to catch up because again companies organizations college universities they're there right they're that's right 
you know. So I, I would just say that to me, to, to, to push on that point is I think that for me, the, the ability for today's world and the complexities we deal with is because we lack the ability sometimes to have conversations. Because once we do, what we saw in 2020, when we were stuck in our houses and we were having conversations on six inch screens all day, is that we were like, <laughs> oh, we can do this. This is fine, right? Because yeah. we had the ability to take the time to do so. And now that we're back out of that um, and we're running around doing all these quick things, um, right. we lose the ability to say, hey, just let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what, what matters to you, what matters to me. Um, and let's come to an agreement around that. So yeah. it is, uh, it's, it's challenging. So Absolutely. No, I really appreciate that. And I think um, I, I really echo this, the, the fact that dialogue is becoming more and more difficult across difference in at least in social media spheres. And I always try to remind myself that social media world is impactful. It's consequential. Lots of really harmful policies have been passed because of social media discourse, but also understanding that dialogue is something that's really important to try to recover. I, I just read the four pivots um, at work and it was just one of those books that kind of, you know, in, it really excited me about what I think both of you are talking about, which is existing in the liminal and existing in, in, in some ambiguity, because that's actually where dialogue can be had. Um, so I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to shout out uh, some folks who are making the two dope teachers in a mic podcast and two dope productions at large possible. So we talk about belonging. Uh, there's an organization that has been supporting the podcast for the last um, almost for a year at this point. Um, that is really looking at practicing belonging in terms of building generational wealth. Um, my friends Alex and Tori at Cetera Investors have become very, very committed at um, in in terms of ensuring that all people, particularly educators, particularly educators of color, have the opportunity to build generational wealth even if teacher compensation doesn't catch up um, anytime soon to the work that a lot of teachers do. So uh, Alex and Tori's do some really great subscription-based work. Um, also, as an aside, Kim, I would love to connect you with Tori because she's got this amazing podcast about um, inspiring um, women of color who are who want to be entrepreneurs. And so I just, I was looking at some of the work that you've done. I'm like, oh my gosh, Kim and Tori need to know each other. Um, so they're really amazing folks. Uh, those of you who think that you um, just don't make enough money to start planning for the future, um, I really encourage you to hit up uh, Tori and Alex at Cetera Investors. So that's Tori and Alex .com slash two dope and you'll get 25% off of their services. So hit them up. And actually we're gonna have to wear on the podcast pretty soon. So keep keep your ears open. Back with you here for our final segment of uh two dope teachers and uh Mike. Um so uh a couple of questions and then you know, um, Brandon, you were mentioning that just this, that we are in the wake of quarantines, we are still kind of lacking the ability to have a discussion, a conversation around these really important issues. And, and y'all are going to share with us a place where such discourse and dialogue is possible. Y'all got to get in it. But I want to, I want to share a little bit about Carney Sando, because I'm sure there's some of my folks who listen to my show saying, Man, you're like, you got private school people on? What's going on? Why or what? What are we doing? So um, Carney Sandoz is, is active in independent and private schools. And many of us who did not have private or independent school as part of our growing up, let's just say we don't tend to associate 
DEI work with private or independent schools. And I wish y'all could see Kim smile right now. Cause like, that's, <laughs> it's like, man, yep. <laughs> I know that's what people say. So I, I want to, um, I want to know just sort of what is the work for you all in those spaces and why does it matter for, for you all in your skin as the people that you are to do the work in that space? I want to start with Kim on that one. Cause you look like you, again, I have this like superpower for seeing gears <laughs> turning in people's minds. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking um, about it, uh, about your question. Mm -hmm. um, so what does it mean to us? You're saying in the, in yeah, the kind of, what does it mean? Why is it important for this DEIB work to be anchored um, as you support private and independent school spaces? Because it's similar to what Brandon said um, a few moments ago. It's about the kids, you know, and, and yes, private schools are have not historically been the most diverse, but the world is changing. Um, and it's about the families and the children. And I think that we would be remiss if we didn't um, do what we're doing within this space because of how things have changed considerably in the world. Yeah. Just like that, right? It's like, well, <laughs> the work needs to be done in these spaces. And I'm sure, uh, Brandon, you can probably speak a little bit to your personal experiences attending yeah. these schools and that kind of thing. But I think sometimes it is that simple. Um, my good friend, Monica Washington, shout out, Monica. 2014 Texas Teacher of the Year, one of my favorite humans, um, once uh, said in a group, she said, well, there's enough work for all of us, <laughs> you know, like we we can't necessarily pick and choose where we're doing the or like choose not to engage this work in any spaces. It's like there there's work everywhere. We got to be willing to do it. So, Brandon, what what what's your sort of uh you know, what are your thoughts around that work in those spaces and why it matters? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's the one um, one place where, interesting enough in education, we realize we're not competitors, we're collaborators here, right? Like, though I might be a private school educator, I'm still dealing with, so working with public school educators every day, right? Because they're my neighbors, they're the people I, I live with and on, right? Um, we, there's no bigger proponent of public education, ironically, than us in terms of private. Like, we understand that we're in this together. I think as a whole, if there was one kind of um, connection point that we can make that work, is that the educators are banded together, right? We have to be able, this this field itself as a whole is being nicked and and tattered and what's going on. And it makes sense because teachers aren't paid enough. And I mean, we know that to be the case, obviously, what's going on. But I think the... Um, the part I would add on to that is that when I was in when I was coming coming back to work in independent schools, I had a choice right between going to public or private and on. And I made a pretty hard decision, I say, because I felt like my heart of hearts, I was I was really destined to really work with public school kids and do all those things. Um, and got wrapped back in my alma mater, come back and work at that school. And my head of school at that point, the, the president of the school basically said, I need you to be what you needed as a student, right? And like, how was I supposed to say no to that? Right. And so there's a there's not a day that's gone by since that moment in 20. 6 to 2012 or 2011 whatever it was where I don't think about that moment to think about what again you asked question about like young student Brandon like I envision myself thinking about whatever that kid may be now the difference being is that um to Kim's point, we are more diverse. I mean, I was the only black male in my entire class for four years in high school, right? 140 kids. Uh my brothers graduated from the same school 20 years uh, about 
uh, seven, eight years later, they were 45 of them. And all like there, there's just a lot different change. What hasn't changed, I think, however, is the fact of every kid still gets cared about that way, right? The fact yeah. that every kid, no matter who you are. Um, so I think, unfortunately, I think DNI gets wrapped as well, too, as being this like, oh, it's just for the black or brown kids. Mm. It's, it's like, you know, it's like it's for every kid. It's for every single kid that yeah. walks in this door That's right. to That's know right. that they can belong. I don't care if you're blonde, blue eyed cisgender Christian kid. You too, right? You were all part of this larger equation. So I think to the education world, whether we're public, we're private, we're independent, we're parochial, we're Catholic, whatever it is, we're still about what's making yeah. sure that tomorrow's kids are better than they were yesterday. End story, period, there. That's all this yeah. is about. Um, anybody else who tells you anything differently doesn't understand this part. And I think that's mm. where the fight goes and what's going on. So yeah, I, I, I wake up every morning and think about what would have been if I had people like Kim Gardner in my corner as a kid growing up, right? What I would have become, right? And I think yeah. that as that's what drives me to go back and do it again, because I want to be that person for that kid. Um, that can make sure the world's better than it was better tomorrow for sure. Uh, I just, I just love that so much. And I think that when I think about your, like, I think for me going into education, I, I've always sort of communicated to people. It's like, I, I, I can't see myself working in another school district. This is the district that raised me imperfectly for better or for worse. There's something that I can give as a graduate of Denver Public Schools who grew up in Denver Public Schools, I've been a DPS student, teacher, parent, and spouse, right? Um, at one point, all three of us in my family were in DPS in some way, shape, or form. And so I can work in a space that I understand where voices like mine haven't always been a part of the, the decision-making process. And Brandon, I kind of see you in the same way where it's like public education, you would have been great in that space, but this independent school situation is something you get that you understand and that you know how to kind of engage those spaces. So I, I think that's really um, fantastic. So I think, and we're running a little long, so I want to just make sure that I am respectful of your time. But um, so I'm sure that all of y'all listening are like, man, these, these two people are cool. Like, how do I talk to more people like them and get connected to some of this like dope stuff that's kind of happening? Um, you've got this big DEIB gathering that's happening in a few days. Um, what, so uh, just let, tell us about it. How can folks um, get connected, but what can they expect if they attend the summit that, um, that you all are planning? Uh, great question. So we are hosting our 10th annual um, DEIB hiring forum. So um, there will be interviewing uh, from our client schools with job seekers uh, for positions. And then also there will be professional development um, happening simultaneously. So it's a really great time for educators from all over the country to come together, to network, to learn, um, as well as to interview for positions. Yeah. Brandon, what else do you have to add to that? <laughs> yeah, so it is, uh, yeah. So it's the kickoff, and a lot of folks ask us this question is it's done on purpose? Yeah, it is, right? So we start every year. We do about, can correct me, six or seven of these per year across the country in terms of hiring firms, but hiring fairs. But this one in particular is our beginning one. We start off the year with this, with with the yeah, focus around diversity, inclusion, belonging. And so this is the 10th year of, of, of being part of it. I was part of it for the first seven on the other side of the desk, working at a school, being the, being the recipient of great people and great experiences. 
So now that I'm on the other side, I get to see really the powerful piece of like connecting folks. So again, if you're in the Philly area and you're interested in connecting, I was happy to do so. And if you're not in the Philly area, then I'm happy to connect with us because we do other hiring fairs across the country, like we mentioned. This one just happens to have a DNIB professional development component to it, but yeah. there are other ones that we also level the same things in all across the country, West Coast, East Coast, down South, up North, wherever it may be. So if you're interested, we'd love to talk more about it. Love to talk about how we're connecting people across the way um, and really working for folks to do this job. Why Kim and I got into this job years and years ago was because we knew that the impact we could have on kids across way actually through the adults that we get to work with that are dope like you guys. So if we can connect more folks and do this and what's going on, impact just ends up being in kids' laps every day. So if we can connect, we're excited about the event. Um, Howard Stevenson, uh, who a lot of folks know maybe in terms of his amazing work, he will be our main keynote speaker on Friday this coming up and we could not be more excited about him and hear about his perspective on what's going on across the world. Um, and then just last thing, the focus of this year's event um, it's about navigating discourse. It's really about what we've been talking about the entire time. It's really giving people, hopefully, the capacity and the toolkits to be able to do this, knowing that October and November of this year is not going to be super, super fun for some folks. So really gearing yeah. up and really getting ready for that, I think, is really important. And we're really focusing on the future of the next 10 years of this work, not necessarily the past, uh, because the future is really where we're going to be at. So we'll talk ways in which this is going to change, what ways in which educators continue to really can, can gear up for this and really be successful. So like I said, we'd love to have you if you're in the area or just love to hear more about it. Feel free to let us know where it wrongs happen. Yeah, y'all yeah, gotta come through. What are some of the sessions that people can I love the idea of 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 combining a hiring forum with professional development that that does address some of these things. And folks, like Howard Stevenson is a real deal. Like um this is an individual who's been promoting this idea of racial literacy that's really gained traction over the last few years. Um longtime listeners will remember when we had authors uh Priya Volchi and Winona Guo, authors of Tell Me Who You Are coming on here. Um not even old enough to drink at that point, I think, <laughs> um, talking about this powerful racial literacy that work that they did. Um, and so and so uh, Dr. Stevenson is is an amazing like I would just go to, you know, if if for no other reason, if I only had a couple hours in the day, like go down there. Um, but what are some of the other sort of learning opportunities that people may have? Like, like, don't give all of it, like give it a teaser so that people will be like, <laughs> I heard just enough <laughs> that I'm going to get on the turnpike and go, uh, but not so much that I don't have to go. Now. <laughs> um, well, we'll have sessions on strategy strategies for hiring uh, candidates from um, underrepresented backgrounds. Uh, there'll be sessions on, um, on what else I'm trying to think. Um, there's a really cool one that's the mammification of black women in independent schools, which oh, I think will be wow, that's um, really intriguing. Uh, Brandon is moderating a session. Do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, so we're getting together some of the I top, I would consider DNIB directors across the country, different independent schools for a panel to hear kind of what's going on in their schools, like what's what they're dealing with. Um, and we did a similar thing a couple of weeks ago. It's really powerful here from them. Like, here's the, the unvarnished behind the veil. Here's what we go through every day, right? Type situation. People understand that. So that'll be really cool. Um, there's also a couple other sessions about like um, thinking about how do you... Um, how do you think about being living and understanding in a PWI, right? How do you understand that part and what does that mean as well too as a person of color? Um, how do you navigate spaces in which that you're you don't look like everybody else? I mean, right. like you as a professional, right? In particular, not just as as that case. Um, yeah. and thinking about as well too, ways that affirm, um, really the just all kind of ways in which that from a professional standpoint, to your point earlier, we, we don't talk a lot about this sometimes. We just kind of happen yeah. to be in these That's areas. Right. 
Um, That's so really right. the focus of the conference and we hope we'll get excited for folks to really walk out of here on if you if you're able to make it in the course of the day, walk out with not just the toolkit and not just the confidence but with the network to be able to do it more as well, too, because that's the biggest part of this conference is connecting with folks and really doing that um, again, both this conference, but all of our conferences as well too, connecting with people, having more people in your corner and your Rolodex to be able to call when you need to. Um, that's the the beauty of, of this work that we're doing this weekend. That's dope. That's dope. I love that. And I think. Um... So it even sounds like um, there's there's a space for some criticality, right? Where to say that we're we're moving forward, we're building a future in order to un understand how we can build a better experience for kids and professionals. We, we've got to be real about what we've experienced <clears throat> in these systems and what it's like to be who I am. Um, that's beautiful. So folks, you got to go and check it out if you're in the area. Um, and if you can't make it this Friday, it starts this Friday, right? The 26th. Yes. Um, if, if you can't make it this Friday, um, just like head over. We'll have some uh, links in the show notes. We'll have Kim and Brandon share a little bit about where they can find more information about this and other forums and summits and conferences that they have. And maybe you can catch another one. Like I actually, like I love conferences. Um, I love just going and just meeting people. I think that connecting piece is the most important thing to me and just seeing where where these kind of connections can go and uh what kind of amazing folks you can meet so i plan on attending one sometime um in the calendar year i would have loved to have gone this week um but my boss said no um so <laughs> we uh <laughs> uh so we're gonna move into probably the most important question that we have, <laughs> um, it's a pretty big deal. Um, I don't know if people have had time to prepare. There's a, um, there's definitely, this is definitely a thing. So uh, we, so first of all, if, if you, we don't like to assume that every guest that comes on the two dope teachers and a mic podcast is a hip hop head. Like Kevin and I grew up with hip hop. I like to say that hip hop is kind of my, my, my wild little cousin. Um, <laughs> I think I'm a little bit right around the same age as hip hop, but uh, so we grew up together. Um, I don't think hip hop is perfect, but it is, you know, sort of what, what raised me in part. Um, so, but if people aren't hip hop listeners, we also encourage them to you to substitute artists from other genres as well. Like we know hip hop is not the beyond end all. So I'm told, uh, so a couple of guidelines, we're going to ask, uh, each of you to share your top five rappers or performing artists. Uh, there's a couple of rules. So the first rule is that there are no rules. So, um, which means any, any, policies we have around top five rappers can be interrogated disrupted modified all that kind of thing so when we say top five it doesn't have to be five uh we okay. call this the eric hale rule uh eric hale shout out 2021 texas teacher of the year who probably found a way in this segment to shoehorn 25 rappers into a top five <laughs> um and he was texting me later saying, oh, and I forgot this guy and I forgot this dude. Um, so uh, so that's rule number one. The Eric Hale rule is in full effect. If you want to say I have a three-way tie for second and a four-way tie for fourth, <laughs> whatever. Um, the second rule is um, it doesn't have to be set in stone. So mm -hmm. if people come for you and say, man, I heard you on that podcast and you said this was your top five and I disagree with you. Um, your top five is unassailable, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's just a moment in time. So it doesn't have to be ever. It can just be right now. This is how I'm answering this question. Um, and so it can just be a snapshot top five. Um, I think I mentioned that it can be 
um, other performing artists uh, who are outside of the range of hip hop. We um, we even had <laughs> Taylor Swift make an appearance on a top five. Still not totally sure what I think about that, but I'm okay with it. Um, it's it's fine. It's fine. Uh, Midnight's is a good album. I can admit that. Um, and so and then the final rule is individuals. It, it can be individuals or collectives. So like if you're having a hard time choosing from Wu-Tang folks, like you can just have Wu-Tang as like one artist, right? So you don't have to like use, you don't have to like differentiate in that kind of thing. So it can be groups um, occupying one space. I think those are the rules. So what we'll do is you'll share that a little bit. We'll make a playlist off of this episode and and include it with the episode uh, where you give us artists and then I identify songs um, unless you have specific ones. So who has the fortitude, the daring, the bravery to go first? Brandon, you're the music man. <laughs> I knew she was gonna. I knew she was gonna do it. So yeah. So um. So I don't know if this is fair or not because again, my uh, my background was interesting. Enough. I was a college, not only just DJ. I ran a college radio station as well too for a couple of years. So my my. Oh, that, that's was, absolutely fair. I was a really bad yeah. rapper in seventh grade, so yeah. that, that's where my authority <laughs> yeah, comes yeah, from. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So uh, so I said because my 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 music choice is eclectic by nature. Maybe I might agree with that, but I would say it's across the way. So if I yep. had to go. Time. And I'm not and I'm going to go outside of rappers just because I think that I actually I really try not to to label top five rappers. I, it's always a fight and I'm not sure I really want to fight anybody. Who's yeah, to, to yeah but we we talked uh, to uh, yeah, Dr. LeGarrette yeah. King a while back and uh, and he was one that said, so I'm going to give a list that y'all's listeners can listen to. But yeah, right. <laughs> the real list is yeah. I'm not going to put that out there because it, it'll cause right. it'll yeah. cause controversy. So I feel that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> right, so I'll go and I won't even go in order. I'll just say top five people. Oh, yeah. Me. It's not it doesn't have to be hierarchical. Okay. That's okay. the other rule. It right. doesn't have to be right. hierarchical. So I'm I'm going to stay and I'm not going to use one of Kim's. I know I know Kim's top ones. I'm not going to use her in this. In my, <laughs> my top five too. But, uh, so I'll, I'll go with I'll go with um I'll go with Lupe Fiasco. Actually, I think that for me, from a leader standpoint there were yeah. moments in which i still can't wrap my head around the words that he said that were so powerful for me as, as a younger male growing up in the early 2000s yeah. right so lupe's got to be on that list to me um he doesn't have credit today um i'll go with luther actually and i say that because of luther's mm -hmm. ability to connect generations my grandmother and i will still end calls with luther and i nowhere can sing anywhere near what he could or what she could but it was that that connected tissue between the two so luther comes to me as number two and for people um, who are not in the know we're referring to luther vandross correct i mean if you call anything out i mean if you call anybody else luther i don't know what you're yeah i don't know it's a, like I, lex luther like i don't know yeah, like, like but yeah, yeah like i know i know yeah. i know yeah. and we mostly know i just want to make sure yeah. people don't get it twisted okay yeah all right so uh so being from the philly area i'm not philly i mean I'm, I'm, I grew up in Jersey. I call myself Philly first whenever it's boys. The men has to show up on my list here. And Ooh, I like that. Uh, because you talk about just the ability again to see young black males who could rap or who chose not to, but went in a different genre, right? To be able to make music um, and to be in that boy bro, boy bro range at that point and be yeah. all black and be unapologetically black about it to yeah. me was 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 absolutely amazing. So there are my three. Uh, I would go four. Um, 
<laughs> oh, this is crazy. I'm going to say this, but uh, I, I think four in so many ways for me too, when I think about Jay-Z and I say that because again, as a not a New Yorker in particular, right. Who didn't have that same affinity to what he was taught, really some of the things he said, uh, yeah. I didn't grow up again in, in the same kind of background, but just the ability from an entrepreneurial standpoint to be mm. who he is today and what he changed and not just to say, look, you can be black and be rich. You can be black and rich and long-term make impact across the way. Um, yeah. I think there's something that will always stand same with me for sure. Um, and then I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna do this because I can. I know you said about genres. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stretch and people are gonna lose their mind. I say this. I'm gonna make four, I'm gonna make five, like five A and five B. Um, yeah. and they're both mid we're Midwest Southern people. I'm gonna go John Legend and Darius Rucker combined because to me, okay, um, Darius Rucker, uh, I'm a country music artist fan, that's why I don't blow anybody's by his mind. But like um to me, his ability to um to stretch a genre from where he was at originally to then turn it into who he is now. Um, absolutely amazing. And then John Legend has the greatest voice that's ever, I think, walked this side of the Western Hemisphere in terms of range and ability. Yeah. You and my spouse are in agreement uh, about this. <laughs> all the concert changed my life forever. Um, mm. That may be. So, uh, but yeah. So, I mean, again, I could name 500 people and I'm offended yep. that I have to choose five, but I would <laughs> that one for sure. And I'll just throw out one really quick, like newer yes. artist about Lathan Warlick is a guy I just able to meet actually last week in, in Nashville. Speaking of kind of the combo, he's a rapper, but also does country music and so he's done a lot of collabs okay. with freeland and some of the other new black country music artists though you will hear a lot about it moving out moving forward but uh, i got a chance to meet him in person last week which is really oh that's cool. dope just, uh, that's just, like, dope cool thing. so anyway nice. i see that's the other thing i love about this segment is that i will always learn about an artist that i had not heard of and again i'm so sad that kevin's not here because when you when you drop darius rucker kevin is, also has a really eclectic uh musical taste it's really funny we do top five rappers but the only shows he goes to religiously and i will say religiously are fish shows like he has traveled <laughs> to see fish he's gone the whole way into it we have fish debates on this whole wow. kind of thing so i just think that eclecticism um would not be lost on him. I'm going to comment really quickly, and then I want to hear uh, him. I know I'm, I'm ready. Uh, so Lupe, um, so Kick Push came out in the early part of my teaching mm -hmm. career. Mm -hmm. And at a time that I was really struggling with, like, how do I do this job well? And just that whole metaphor of Kick Push Coast. Um, sometimes you're going to slip and you're going to bust your lip. Um, you know, you're going to have some trouble, but you just have to keep on doing that. Uh, Boys to Men speaks to my eighth grade sensibilities. Uh, Mot <laughs> Motown Philly came out yep. when I was in eighth grade. And um, and I think there was definitely a moment in the late 80s, early 90s when I was probably listening to a lot more R&B than I was rapping hip hop. And so that really um, is after my heart. And so I love this top five. Um so, Kim, all eyes on you. So wow. That, see, that um, was a rap reference. That was a rap reference. Oh, I, yes, listeners, you know. Um, so <laughs> I was, I too was going to mention Beyonce's husband, Jay-Z, as Brandon did. <laughs> yes, I love but, it. Um, we'll just call him Beyonce's husband in the, uh, in the list. But who, Beyonce. Who, what's that guy's name? He's married to Beyonce. <laughs> you know that. Beyonce's husband, uh, but also Beyonce. You have yes. to mention the queen. Yeah. Um, I would also say Mary J. Blige. Uh, for oh, sure. Mary J. Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Yes. Every time someone says like, and she's showed up on a few of our top fives and, but every time someone says her name, I like, I, I just feel this wave come over me.
me. I'm yeah. like, Mary J. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Biggie. okay. Um, I was not an East Coast, West Coast. I never picked sides, so I would also name Tupac. Yep. Um, who else would I name? Um, uh, TLC. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's a, that's a, that's what's Yeah. up. All right. Um, Whitney Houston, you know? Whitney. Yep. Gotta have Whitney there. And Mariah Carey. Mm hmm That's just, that's first my compact youth. disc i ever owned <laughs> was mariah carey's first album really? <laughs> yep Yeah. and i know people aren't people are going to cancel me for saying that out loud but it's true it's I mean, true what a voice it's, it's what you like. I mean, yeah, back in the that's day. right yeah Yeah. that's right this this um so much of this list were there more than you want to add on your list No, no, no. so so much of this list speaks to moments in my life growing up where you know it's just like you turned on the radio this is what you heard and i think when with with Pac and biggie um i, I just really enjoyed them and i like you i didn't ever i always struggled with the east coast west coast thing also because i'm not from either coast like we're here we're here in the mountains like it's equally difficult to get to either of those um but Pac Pac is a storyteller Biggie's just technical like excellence like I, I like even to this day when I listen to like Juicy or when I listen to um to other songs like More Money More Problems it's like it's like just listening to the skill and it's beautiful um th these and and TLC um rest in peace uh left eye like just such amazing music and it was so cutting edge for its time um you know amazing stuff so man these these top these top fives are fire i'm not i'm not even gonna lie like i think that this is a great way to conclude this amazing conversation um kim garner brandon jacobs from uh carney sando gotta have y'all back on the show at some point and Yeah. uh we, we gotta get kevin in the space and we gotta get you know future things and you know as you all continue to do the work um just stay in touch with us about how we can just continue to host conversations like these really appreciate you being here this afternoon evening Oh, thank thanks you for so coming much for it's having been a us. pleasure It's been an honor. Yeah, this has been a blast. So um, what I'll do is I'll ramble for just a couple of seconds and then um, to the best of our ability and to the best that our internet connections will allow it, um, we will attempt to say stay dope together. Um, so, and I'll give you kind of a signal for that. So I will say for my absentee co-host, everything, for the amazing Brandon Jacobs and for the amazing Kim Garner, Uh, from the amazing organization, Carney Sando. My name is Gerardo Munoz. I'm wishing all of you to have survived your Sunday scaries. Uh, I am wishing for all of you to continue to have conversations and to build dialogue. I'm wishing all of you to find openness, find the liminal, find places where you can not only belong yourself, but contribute to an environment of belonging. Find ways to be a part of hard conversations. Find ways to make every space a welcoming space uh, for all, but above and beyond every day. Y'all got to find ways to stay dope.
Attention please, attention please, dedicated educators of Two Dope Nation. As this school year gets underway, now is the perfect time to take control of your financial future. We understand that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort during the school year. So now is the best time to prioritize your finances before the school year gets completely out of hand. Am I right? So I want to introduce you to a trusted financial advisor who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors. Alex provides educators with planning for our most important financial milestones. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers in our retirement, the school pension system, and retirement programs specifically for us. Imagine heading into this upcoming school year and the years to come with confidence, knowing that your finances are in order. By taking time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Visit Alex's website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, spell out, to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Take this opportunity to invest in your financial well-being before the school year kicks into high gear. Click the link in the description section of the podcast for more information about Alex and Cetera Investors. Remember, your financial success is just as important as your student's success. Let's start the school year on the right financial foot. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRASIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra, CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203, Monrovia, California, 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.